Hey, welcome to Bad Apple. I'm Helen. And I'm Riley. And if you're any superstitious, you notice this is the 13th episode. I swear we'll stop uh, saying the name, the number of every episode from now on. Not every time. But this one, it was just fitting. It's fitting because today's case, well, I guess it's kind of cursed. Today, we're covering the case of Minnie Dean, the only woman in New Zealand to be sentenced to death. It is a well-known folklore tale in New Zealand that if you were a kid and you were being a bit too naughty, you'd be sent off to Minnie Dean's farm and never be heard from again. Do you have an equivalent of that here, Riz, in Australia? Or is it that you'll get thrown to the crocodiles or something? <laughs> I feel like no one ever threatened to throw me to the crocs. Oh, but, we get it. Um, yeah, I was just a goody two-shoes. Yeah. No, I feel like um, my mum always used to say, like, sorry, mum, I know you're listening. She always used to say, like, I'll, I'll call the police. if you. I'll get, the, I'll get the policeman to come and tell you to stop being so naughty. And I was always like, do it, because you're the one being mean, so <laughs> he's going to get you, not me. Yeah, or would she pull, like, a, stop yelling, the neighbours are going to call the police. Yeah, that one too. And you'll get taken away from me. Ra ra ra. Nice try. I had that pulled on me too, because I was not a goody two-shoes. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't yell much, but when I did... That being said, neighbours never called the cops on us. Yeah, and me neither. Because that would be ridiculous. You hear this kid yelling, you're like, i got to call the police. Yeah, something is up there. It's <laughs> a so good try, Mum. So, let's wind it back to the 1800s. Yes, that's right. I think this may be the oldest case that we have ever done. And, I mean, maybe ever will do. By far. By, like, hundreds of years. <laughs> at least a hundred. Yeah, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Minnie Dean was born Wilhelmina McCulloch in Greenock, Scotland, in 1844. Her parents had eight daughters. What are the odds of that? Yeah, geez. Did they keep having them in the hopes of a son? Maybe. Minnie was the fourth born, but her three older sisters had died when they were young. Her mother died of cancer when she was 13. In the early 1860s, Minnie moved to Invercargill in New Zealand with her young daughter Ellen and was pregnant with her second child. We think she was like 16 when she had Ellen, and maybe was a couple of years older than that now. She told people that she'd moved from Australia after her doctor husband had died, leaving her as a young widow. My grandma was a young widow. She was 18 and had two kids when she was widowed, which is crazy. Mm. I'm 22 and I will have a meltdown if there's too much white noise in the house. I'll go around and turn off every single fan. We need to throw you back into the 50s. Yeah, send me. Really put me through it. Anyway, to be character building, that's for sure. Now we're just fragile little flowers. Yeah, rip. There's actually no evidence of her marriage or her husband's death, but we know she was definitely in Australia when she had her first baby, in Tasmania. She'd signed the birth record under her maiden name. Which, all of these things are kind of alluding to the fact that maybe there was no husband. A more likely course of events would be that she'd gotten pregnant out of wedlock in Scotland and had been sent off to the colonies in Tasmania because she was bringing shame to her family. Tasmania. Ultimate capital punishment. <laughs> Sorry, I've never been to Tasmania. Me neither, but apparently it's very nice down there. Oh. Nice, um, I think it's has kind of similar landscape vibes to New Zealand. Right. Just less cool. 
Anyway. Of course. Having an illegitimate child wasn't uncommon in the 19th century, but it would come at the detriment of your social status. Unwed mothers struggled to find employment, husbands, or lead any kind of normal social life. So it's pretty understandable why she's come up with this story upon her arrival to Invercargill. Yeah, wipe that slate clean mm. in New Zealand. A good old fresh start. Yeah, and I mean, there's a, there would have only been like 10 people there at that point, so no one would have known her. Mm. Except when she turns up to Invercargill, she actually has this semi-famous aunt who was known as Granny Kelly. And she was one of the founding settlers of the Invercargill area. Invercargill is like at the very bottom of New Zealand, the South Island. It's like <laughs> the bum. It's the bum hole. It's not the bum hole. Okay. Just <laughs> the bum cheek. Sure, it's, it's not <laughs> the bum cheek. The round, supple bum cheek of New Zealand. <laughs> Which I thought it made that one of the most southern cities in the world, but now we found out it's not. But it's quite, it's down there. Mm-hmm. This connection to Granny Kelly definitely helped her establish herself and sell her story of being a widow. To put it into context, Invercargill is a part of the South Island region, and the first European settlement was in 1853. So I guess if she arrived in... Early 1860s. Then... Pretty fresh. Yeah, it would have been like like a decade. Yeah, a bit less, yeah. So it's a very fresh colony. About eight years after her arrival, in 1872, she had become a governess and had married local farmer Charles Dean. A glow up. Yeah. She. How do you rise the ranks that yeah. quickly? I guess, like at that point in the um, in the colony's journey, I guess there wasn't that many people there. Someone had to do it. That's true. Someone had to be a governess and marry Charles Dean. Charles Dean. Like Charles Lee. Or James Dean. <laughs> Choose your fighter. <laughs> Just not as good as either of yeah. those two. Yeah, apparently he wasn't that good. Some people say that Charles was an alcoholic, and papers at the time called him mild and weak or feckless and dull. I love how the papers are writing about this guy. Like, why? Feckless. Well, they didn't have anyone else to write about. There's only like the, four people there. Imagine the headline, local farmer Charles Dean, feckless and dull. <laughs> it's like oh, front God. page. <laughs> he was definitely also not good with money. Minnie and Charles set up a pub near Riverton on the road to the Otago goldfields. The pair were hoping to make money from the many miners in the area because it was the gold rush. Woo! You know? Sorry, I don't know why I wooed. Exciting times. It's just exciting times, you know? Anything could happen in the gold rush. Yeah, all the rage to come to New Zealand and dig some gold up. Hell yeah. My mom's so into that. She makes us go to every mine. Really? In every small town. She's like, we should go see the mine. I didn't pick that. And I'm like... That's such a niche thing to be interested in. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why is it this mine is no different from the other mine and the other mine yeah. and the other mine? There's like a gold mine. To. There's a gold ex an old gold mine near where I'm from, and all it does. Yeah, is, I don't doubt it. All it does is poison the river. Oh, yeah. My mum would be all over it. Is it weird to have a fixation on mines? I mean, like the gold rush. Yeah, I feel like I don't really know many people who are like, man, I love the gold rush. But you know what? In these small towns, there aren't many other things to do. There's the mine, there's and the, the town hall. And the pub. And the pub. <laughs> so Owned by Minnie and Charles. Makes sense. In the few years that followed, Minnie's daughters, Ellen and Isabel, got married and left home. I'm guessing, like, to do some very quick maths in the scenario, and maybe the, maybe the dates are a little off, but they must have been really young. Mm. They must have been really, really young. Because it's been... 
Because it's been at most... Around 8 or 10 years. At most, like, 12 years, yeah. I guess, after she got there. And if the if the oldest one was already, like, 2, she's, like, 14 or something. Man. Jeez, yeah, true. I mean, her mom was 16 when she had her, so... Yeah, I think that was a, probably a sign of the times, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. My grandma was 16 when she got married. God. Both my grandmas. What are we doing? I'm, I'm, we've missed the boat. Me too. Yeah, I'm six years behind. That's fine. It's at this point that the couple adopted two more girls, Margaret and Esther. For some reason, Minnie and Charles never have any children of their own. They just adopt others. And this is when things kind of started going wrong. Later in the 1870s, a railway line was built that went right past the pub. They lost a lot of customers. It might have been due to the railway line, but also New Zealand was in the middle of the Long Depression, which was the depression before the Great Depression. I wonder what they're going to call this next depression. That would have been ultimate motivation to mine as hard as you can. Yeah, you reckon? Really get that gold. But what if it was drying up? The mines? Yeah. I think that I think that may have sparked the Long Depression. Oh, really? Potentially. Damn. No, nah, just dig deeper. <laughs> Alan wants to. She just wants to split want New Zealand fucking, in half. What's that word like? Fracking. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> the bank comes after Minnie and Charles after they're no longer able to pay the mortgage that they'd taken out to buy the pub, and Charles was declared bankrupt. Good news is Minnie couldn't take out a mortgage or be a property yeah, owner. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. The bank just came after Charles, I guess. Yeah. Because he owned everything. Yeah, Minnie was, she got out unscathed. Yeah. Which I guess is a positive of not having any rights. Anyway, Minnie and Charles borrowed some money from Granny Kelly and bought a house on a farming property called The Larches. This was just outside Winton, a town 30 kilometres north of Invercargill. They farmed cattle and had a small orchard, so it was a productive farm. But just as things might have been looking up a bit, disaster struck again. The larches burnt to the ground, and apparently all of their fruit trees were taken away by a man who they owed money to. I can just imagine this man, like, ripping these fruit trees out of the ground with his, like, bare hands. <laughs> and Charles is just standing there like, no, mate, I swear He's I can like, pay. You owe me. You owe me. <laughs> ripping those apple trees I swear out. I can pay it. <laughs> Just give me one more week, Did mate. he, like, replant them in his orchard? Wouldn't they just have died? I don't know. Anyway, this guy took the fruit trees. Damn. I don't know where the cows are. Maybe they ran away after the fire. Someone else took them too. Yeah, probably. They managed to rebuild a new home on the land, but it was pretty decrepit. It was two rooms and a small lean-to, which is like a, a little, um, like a garage with no walls, like a carport. Oh, right. Yeah. Soon after, Minnie's eldest daughter, Ellen, and her two small children, who were aged two and ten months, were found drowned in a well. These deaths were officially recorded as unexplained, but it was likely a murder-suicide. They recorded them as uh, unexplained because if you, if it was ruled to be a suicide, they wouldn't have been able to have the um, uh, Catholic burial. Oh. So they did it as like a favour to the grieving husband. T. Yeah. God, times were hard back then. Yeah. Yeah, no one felt sorry for you if you killed yourself. <laughs> they were just like, Especially not God. They were just like, get fucked. How dare you. By the 1880s, Minnie was living in a hovel in Winton with two adopted daughters but no income and because Charles was bankrupt, no one wanted to offer him a job. I thought you'd misspelt hotel. No, a hovel. <laughs> and so what is a hovel? A hovel like is like a like a shithole. 
A hovel is like a little... The be- I feel like the best way I can describe it is like... She wasn't literally in a hovel. But a hovel's like maybe like a hole in the ground. And I imagine there's just like a little thing over the top. <laughs> so it's a metaphor. I think so. I've only ever used it as a metaphor. A metaphor for like, oh, what a hovel. Right, right. You know? Yeah. I'd be like, oh... So she was probably just living in a shit house. She well, she was living in that house with two rooms and the lean-to. Oh right. That that Charles built, and we know that he was feckless and dull. So I reckon it probably wasn't a good house. Yeah right. Sorry, Charles. It was at this point that Minnie started taking in unwanted babies for money. She started placing ads in the local newspaper, offering to foster children for three to eight shillings a week, or adopt them for lump sums of ten to twenty pounds. I did the maths. And apparently, £10 in 1890 would be worth around £1,200 today, which is like 2400 Australian dollars, 2400 Australian dollars. Three shillings would be about £20 or 36 Australian dollars. It's pretty similar, New Zealand dollars, as you might know. Yeah. The rate depends when you look at it. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, if you compare to modern childcare prices, oh, this is a bit of a bargain. Yeah. $36 a week? How is she not losing money from this, you know? I, I mean, I think she kept her costs pretty low. Mm. She didn't have many overheads. God, I feel like it, the only way to cost your, keep your costs low enough is just to feed them. Like, like they would have no extracurricular activity. No, I don't and they, I don't think they went to school. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't schools in New Zealand yet. Oh, really? I actually don't know that. <laughs> Why do you do this? I need this? to stop shitting on New Zealand. Of course there were schools in New Zealand. It's been she was a years. governess. <laughs> I'm like, really? She just taught them herself. She was a governess. Right. So right, she right, taught right, them right. herself, fed them probably food from the Some trees. Like cabbage got, soup. The, tr- the trees that didn't get cut down. Yeah. Fed them food from that. And they all just had to play outside with their imaginations. Yeah, right. Yeah. Her ads in the paper went something like this. Quote, a respectable married woman who wants to adopt a child. Comfortable home in the country. I feel like comfortable is maybe a stretch. Mm. Yeah, we're talking about the lean-to here. Yeah. Another read, quote, Wanted by a respectable married woman with no young children, a baby to nurse, or one or two young children to bring up, or a baby to adopt. She was covering her bases. Yeah. She's meeting all the job requirements. To us, this concept may seem a bit outlandish, but back in the day, people with children out of wedlock faced being socially ostracized, and abortions were both illegal and therefore dangerous. Yeah, the sad reality was that women, and even young girls who were unmarried and became pregnant, even through sexual assault, were pretty much written off. Their families would disown them if they ever found out, and they lost pretty much all prospects of finding a husband and honoring the emperor. Why did you have to write that? And that's pretty much all we had to do back then. Mm. Find a husband and... Honour the emperor. Honour the emperor. Have some... Pop some kids out. Some risked death at the hands of an illegal abortionist. Some concealed the birth, which itself is a crime, and committed infanticide. And I hope that's how you say it. Some ended up in rescue homes, which were kind of like a women's shelter. But the rescue homes were themselves kind of vilified as well. Because the idea of providing any kind of support to unwed mothers so that they could keep their children was considered preposterous. It was thought such a thing would only encourage rampant immorality. 
I can just imagine like some guy with a massive mustache, mustache. like it's huge, like mad handlebars, and he's like, "Well, but then I did preposterous. If you do that, we're just going to encourage them rampant immortality. They will not stop. No money. We need to draw the line on these women. <laughs> we can't have them out here putting ideas. Anyway. Yeah. But then what are you meant to do? Well, you'd really options were slim. Options are slim. You, you can't keep it. You can't hide it. You can't hide you it. You can't get rid of it. You can't get that we can't go over it. Yeah, that that nursery rhyme. We're yeah. going on a bear hunt. There was no um, you had to go through it. Yeah. But even if you went through it and like raised it uh, at a rescue home, yeah, you're that's still, not it either. You're still you're you yeah. So it was pretty common, and there was actually a demand from people who had illegitimate children to pay for someone to take them away. It's also ironic to note that this is also a time that being a caring mother and super domestic and all that was also all that women were apparently born to do. So here's a bloody good paradox for us to try to live up to. Yeah. You Thanks have a for kid. That. You have a kid? Wrong. You don't have one? Wrong. <laughs> God. <laughs> Man, we've come a long way. Yeah. At any one time, Minnie would have up to nine children under the age of three in her care. The infant mortality rate in the late 1800s in New Zealand fluctuated around 80 to 100 deaths per 1,000 births of babies under one year old. So that's about one in every 10 kids, which is, God, that's pretty high. Yeah. So it was probably inevitable that some of the children would fall ill and die, especially if they'd come from disadvantaged upbringings anyway. And if she had nine kids in her care at any one time, well, the odds are not in her favour. Yeah. Statistics. Yeah. At least a bit under one child. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Point nine of a child. In 1989, the inevitable happens with the death of a six-month-old infant in Minnie's care. The cause of the death is unknown. Then, in 1891, a six-week-old baby, Bertha Curry, dies of inflammation of the heart valves and congestion of the lungs. The death of these two infants attracted police suspicion, and there was an inquest into the living conditions at the Larches. Okay, but these two babies died two years apart. Yeah. You know? Like I said, statistics. Yeah. She was defying statistics at this point, I think. Well... To only have two die in two years. Two that we know of. Yeah, look... The inquest concluded that the dead infants and other children at the Larches were well cared for, but that the premises were inadequate. These two deaths put Minnie on the New Zealand police radar. They noticed that she was looking for more children to take into her care and attempting to take out some life insurance policies for the children that she had. Dodgy. Mm. But I guess, maybe if they, if she's like, oh, they're going to die anyway. Take out some life insurance. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense? I guess so. Man, having life insurance back then, that's... <laughs> that's bold. High tech. <laughs> People die at, like, 30 yeah, in the, the 1800s. the premiums would have been insane. Yeah. <laughs> we don't cover it if it's sickness or accident. Yeah. <laughs> we only cover it if it's, like, homicide. <laughs> this also kick-started the rumour mill that she was a baby farmer, which was a term that was used around that time to describe women who took in babies for the sake of making money. People were shocked that you would be caring for children for economic reasons rather than trying to be Mother Teresa. (laughs) It's the guy with the moustache again. He's like, oh, preposterous. After you're trying to make money, we've got men for that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, apparently childcare was uh, a foreign concept. 
Yeah. Minnie was kept under police surveillance. The following year, in 1892, she adopted a three-week-old child for £25. This again caught police's attention, and they traced Minnie to a boarding house where they found the child in very dirty clothes, being fed from a bottle of sour and curdled milk. The baby's mother said that she could scarcely recognise her child, as it had so altered for the worse in the two days that Minnie had looked after it. Who invited her? I don't know. As in, like, is that your child? Because we just said that women um, who had these illegitimate children wanted to get rid of their kids. So why did you turn up to this? Yeah, the police came and they were like, well, you think your child is... And she'd be like, what child? Well, that would be me. I'd be yeah, like, that would be me. I don't know who child. Who, what child? I'd be like, me, Sorry? no child. But she's like, what? <laughs> and she comes up, she's like, oh my God, it looks horrible. <laughs> <laughs> who invited her? And why did she's she like, come? Oh. I just have so many questions about this situation, but that's fine. This, that's fine. This child has been so altered for the worse, she said. The police considered that they had probably saved the baby's life and kept an eye on Minnie. In 1893, the Commissioner of Police wrote to the Minister for Justice with renewed concerns about Minnie's activities. Side note, in that year, New Zealand also passed the Infant Life Protection Act, 1893, which required people who cared for one or more children under the age of two for more than three consecutive days to register themselves and their homes. I guess in an effort to like somewhat regulate this informal childcare arrangement business. Mm. But uh, Minnie did not register, and she continued carrying out most of her work under false names. That looks dodgy. But she was living in a shithole that her shithole husband built, you know? That's not her fault that she doesn't have the greatest place to raise them. Yeah. And the inquest found earlier that the children under her care were fine. I that think, they were living in a shithole, though. Yeah, I think the general vibe was that she did, she was very caring... Yeah. But didn't have the facilities. But then is the argument that if she knew she didn't have the, the facilities, yeah. should she have continued taking them in? That's true. But her useless husband was bankrupt. That's true. And couldn't find a job. So yeah. what was she meant to do? That's true. That's true. She, yeah. had, she was hustling. Mm. By 1895, Minnie was well and truly under suspicion for child abuse, or at least neglect. So she's been taking kids in for how many years? I mean, at least we're looking at... We're looking at, like, at least, like, seven years, probably. Yeah. For a while now. Yeah. So after all of these years, what led to the police finally being able to arrest her? On the 30th of April, 1895, Minnie travelled by train from Winton to Bluff to collect an 11-month-old child, Dorothy Carter. She returns to Winton with Dorothy for a couple days, where she then arranges to collect and receive a lump sum for another child, a one-month-old baby, Eva Hornsby, who lived with her grandmother, Jane, in Milburn. After a couple days in Winton, on the 2nd of May, Minnie boards the train to Milburn. This would be an overnight trip, and she boards with Dorothy and a hat box, and this is noted by the station guard. But when Minnie arrived at Clarendon Station in Milburn, she disembarked the train without Dorothy, but with a suspiciously heavy hat box. We know this because railway porters testified that the hat box was weirdly heavy. Railway porter? What is yeah, that? Yeah, they, like, get your bags off the train for you. She's like, get this hat box. <laughs> yeah, if surely you would be like, I've got it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and it's just a hat box. Yeah. It's not a suitcase. Yeah. Minnie then collects Eva from her grandmother and gets back on the train to Winton. But when Minnie arrives back in Winton, she gets off the train 
with only a hat box. And the station guard is like, hold up. Mm. Bro, this is like that boat game where you have to get the fox, the chicken, and the grain to the other side on their boat. But it's like a fucked up version of it. Yeah. Because there's so many elements in this like trip. And so many different trips. I think, basically... She collects Dorothy, brings her back to Winton, no issues. Yeah. Then they're be- then issues begin to crop up, right? Yeah. On the way to collect Eva... She loses Dorothy. Dorothy goes missing. Yeah. Collects Eva. On the way back, Eva goes missing. But the hatbox is consistent. And the hatbox is consistently there and consistently... Changing weights. Heavy. Yeah. The station guard alerts the police. Which I have to say is hilariously nosy. Yeah, he's a bit of a <laughs> nosy rosy. Yeah. Maybe she was wearing a fit, you know, and he, he noticed her both times. But still. Maybe he was like, hey, damn. Oh, damn, shawty. <laughs> yeah, but it's so funny that he, he, like, particularly noticed this one woman on different days because it's an overnight trip. Maybe it was, like, inter- maybe it was uh, uncommon for, like, maybe a woman to be traveling by herself with a baby. Or, That's true. Or maybe... um. He was just super bored. Maybe that because there was only like 15 people. Sorry, in, I need to stop making in that In New joke. Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's only 15 people. The North Island didn't even exist. It just ne- <laughs> it's never it's not funny. It's yet to float up <laughs> from the ocean. Oh my God. They were still connected. That earthquakes hadn't <laughs> split them yet. <laughs> so the police turn up and they search the length of the railway track for the baby, but found nothing. I mean, at this point, they don't even know that two babies have up and vanished. From the point of view of the station guard, he's just like, oh, where's the kid? Yeah, he just thought there was one kid. The kid that she boarded with. Eventually, they find out that she had been at Clarendon Station with Eva, and they trace Eva back to her grandmother. They take grandmother, Jane, to the Larches, where she identified a piece of clothing belonging to her missing granddaughter. At this point, they arrest Minnie and charge her with murder. Which is that a bit bit presumptuous? (laughs) We're jumping the gun a little bit. We don't know what other evidence they maybe have, but maybe, maybe a little bit. But I mean, it turns out that what happens next does kind of seal the deal. Yeah. After searching more at the larches, police went out into the garden where they noticed some disturbed ground. It was here that they discovered the recently buried bodies of the two babies, Eva and Dorothy, as well as the skeleton of a four-year-old boy who Minnie claimed had drowned. Minnie's case was taken up by a prolific lawyer from the time, Alfred Hanlon. An inquest determined that Dorothy Carter had died on the 2nd of May from an overdose of the opiate laudanum, commonly used to calm down irritable infants. Eva's cause of death was determined as being asphyxiation. Hanlon tried to argue that Dorothy Carter had died accidentally from the overdose of laudanum, that it was not intentional. He said that the reason she had covered up the deaths instead of alerting the authorities was to prevent the bad press that she got last time she reported deaths in her care. Remember the police did a full-on inquest into her, which resulted in a lot of bad press in the papers and her having to like use the false name. There had been a financial agreement to take Dorothy, but Minnie didn't get any money when she collected her. Some say this is why Dorothy was killed. Without the money, there was no incentive in it for Minnie, and she couldn't have afforded another child. Others say that maybe the Infant Life Protection Act was creeping up on her and she wanted to get rid of Dorothy to avoid a penalty. Hanlon asked the court why. What evidence is there that Minnie had premeditated the murder? And if she had premeditated it, why did she let her other foster children and members of the public see Dorothy? 
Would it not have been wiser to kill the child between Bluff and Invercargill on the first trip? It's important to note that at the time, I'm sure you all know, but women weren't allowed on juries yet. And I guess I'm not here to cast doubt on the judgment ability of the men on the jury. I'm sure they most likely were pretty reasonable. But we know that this is a time where the experience of being a woman is drastically different to that of being a man. Perhaps history would have panned out differently if the jury had a few women on the panel judging Minnie Dean. Or maybe not. Maybe we were all subject to the rumour mill and buying into all of that stuff. Yeah, it was hard to not vilify her after the baby farmer stuff started mm. going around. Because everyone was everyone was against that. Like, yeah. unanimously hated yeah. baby farmers. Yeah, and I feel like, I guess, pre-suffragette era... I feel like a lot of women were, if you wanted to, like, fit in, I guess, you did have to kind of act like a man, think like a man. Right, Have the same views. Like, you weren't very... You wouldn't have gotten very far if you just kept disagreeing with all these dudes. Yeah. So you just had to be like, oh, yes, the baby farming is horrible, Alfred. I just can't stand it. (laughs) Yeah. And then in the back of your mind, you were like, man, this shit is tough. Mm. Anyway, speaking of rumour mill... The New Zealand rumour mill was churning, with many stories spreading of how she had killed the infants with a hat pin in a private carriage of the train before stuffing them into a hat box and taking them home to be buried. A hat pin, I think, I could be wrong, is like, um, keeps your hat on your head. You, like, pin it through the hat and, like, twirl it in your hair. Straight into your skull. Yeah, and (laughs) you, like, put it through your hair like a bobby pin kind of. But it's sharp on the end, so it can pierce the hat. Right. Anyway, this is unlikely to be true, because hat pins were not widespread at the time and hadn't really made it to New Zealand at the time of Dorothy and Eva's death. We weren't hot on those hat pin trends. No, you know, not That sounds like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Your, the hats, your hats were just blowing off. <laughs> Solution? Hat, hat pin. The potential factual inaccuracies of this rumour didn't stop some merchants from cashing in on the public intrigue and outrage of Minnie's case. Vendors would set up outside the courthouse during the trial and sell baby dolls in hat boxes as souvenirs for those who were following the trial. They are so creepy. Yeah, that's strange. We'll put a picture up for you. They are weird. Why would you want one of those? Are they just, are they weird because it's in like an aged picture? You Partly, know? I guess, because it's an aged picture. But why would you want that? Be like, oh, look at this. Yeah. Remember when that woman killed those babies? Ooh, that is... Anyway. In the last quarter of the 19th century, court reporting had become all the rage. So it was all over the papers. Very sensationalist. Maybe not too different from today. I guess you couldn't cite your sources in the 1800s, though. Yeah. We didn't have ABC fact check. <laughs> so on June 21st, 1895... Minnie was found guilty of Dorothy Carter's murder and sentenced to death by hanging. Minnie never took the witness box at trial. Instead, she wrote a 49-page account of her activities with the adoptions and fostering after her conviction, while she was on death row. She stated that she had looked after 26 children, including Eva and Dorothy, between 1889 and 1895. At first, I was like, what the fuck? Death? But... Then we researched it a bit, and that was basically the go-to punishment for a murder conviction at the time. Mm -hmm. I forget that we're 200 years ahead of that now. We're like 130 years ahead of that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Forgot that you were a mathematician. Yeah, sorry. A historian. Please get your facts straight, Helen. 
Of these 26 children, we know that six died. Three were reported and were not suspicious, and the other three were found in her backyard. Of the other 20, one child was taken back by their family. Five were found at the cottage at the time of her arrest. Minnie says that seven of the children were adopted by other families who wished to keep the adoptions a secret. So that still leaves seven children unaccounted for. The possibility that they were killed by Minnie either accidentally or intentionally remains unknown. They also may have just grown up and moved out. We'll never know, really. Yeah, I don't think they were keeping very good records of people moving around. Yeah. They thought they were like, oh, we've only got these 10 people. We can just keep an eye on them. And then next thing you know, there's like a couple hundred thousand. Well, clearly the station guard was doing his best to do that. Keep yeah. an eye out on everyone. He should have been chief record keeper. He knew everything. <laughs> yeah. Give him a raise. Yeah. Also in this account was her version of events with what happened with Dorothy. She said that she boarded the train and laid Dorothy on the cushions to sleep. She had been coughing and Minnie gave her laudanum, which we mentioned earlier is, you know, what you gave children to maybe ease coughing or agitation. I love they were just giving these kids, like, opioids. I mean, it was the 1800s. I don't think they yeah, knew Yeah, they are probably much. giving them heroin. Yeah. <laughs> but she says that she had misjudged the quantity and later in the journey realized that Dorothy was dead. She says she panicked and put Dorothy in the hat box and went on her journey. On the 12th of August, 1895, Minnie was taken to Invercargill Jail to be executed. The Otago Daily Times reported, quote, She walked straight on without a halt to the drop door, gave a scrutinising glance, first at the gallows and its belongings, then at the half-dozen people standing below, a contemptuous, loathing look at the hangman, and placed herself in a position to facilitate his work as much as possible, and took a few long breaths while he adjusted the rope and placed the white calico cap over her head and face. The the amount of times they said and in that sentence. Man, the Otago Daily Times, get it together. Well, there were only two people you could hire as (laughs) newspaper writers, so... Slim pickings. Yeah, true. A sheriff asked Minnie if she had any last words. She responded, quote, I have nothing to say, except that I am innocent. As she fell through the trapdoor, she reportedly cried out, Oh God, let me not suffer. She was buried in Winton. Her husband Charles died 13 years later in 1908 in a house fire, and he was buried next to her. This is the second time that Charles has burnt down his house. What is Charles doing? He's feckless. Charles has had the worst run in this story. Yeah. In his defence. He might might have been useless, but he also had horrible luck. Yeah. Like... Pub fails. Yeah, the then... train station gets... The train line gets built. Pub yeah. fails. Someone d- steals his trees. That house place burns, burns down. down. Builds the worst house ever. But if someone told me to build a house right now, I would also build a two-bedroom lean-to thing because I, I don't... I can't build a house. I wouldn't even build two bedrooms. It would just be one big room. <laughs> I'd just lean a roof against a fence. <laughs> yeah, it would barely have walls. <laughs> so... Maybe it was a bit hard on Charles. He was just trying to make it as a man in the 1800s. Yeah. And if he wasn't that preposterous mustache man, then he was a loser. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel kind of bad for him. And then he finds out, then you find out your wife has been trying to take in all these kids because you can't find a fucking job. Yeah. And then she gets sentenced to death. Yeah. Worst run. That is rough. Rip out man, Charles Dean. Yeah, rip Charles. A few years later, in 1896... The Infant Protection Act was expanded to children under the age of four, but its effectiveness was demeaned by the many demands already on the police, who were 
quote, way too busy and unskilled to be trotting around inspecting the care of homes where kids were kept. God. <laughs> yeah. They were just like, sorry. Sorry, we're just not going to enforce these rules. And coming full circle, the story of Minnie Dean became folklore to get kids to behave. She's been described as a bogeyman. Do you say bogeyman or boogeyman? Um, How do you say it? I don't say it often. Me neither. I'd probably say boogeyman. The boogeyman. The boogeyman. Scarier than the bogeyman. Yeah, true. But. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe boogeyman. Parents would threaten to send their kids to Minnie Dean's farm, and it is also said that nothing will grow on her grave. There's been songs written about her too. There's also a wildflower in Southland known as a Minnie Dean, which apparently should be torn out and burnt if it appears in any home garden. <laughs> that just sounds like a botanist's like best attempt at a roast. Oh, we'll just we'll just call this weed Minnie Dean. Fuck her. Yeah, but <laughs> like, what do, what's the difference between tearing it out and what does burning it do? Like burn the seeds so they can't fo- like spread or something? Do I look like a botanist? I don't you? know. Anyway. <laughs> In 2009, a strange headstone was placed on Minnie Dean's grave, apparently marked by an unrelated person. No one knows who did it. It reads, Minnie Dean is part of Winton's history. Where she now lies is now no mystery. Oh. Bars. Bars. <laughs> it was Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was Snoop. Like, A Minnie Dean. M-I-N-N-N-I-D-E-A-N. The Dean Snoop Dog. Doggy Dog. <laughs> Recently, I guess, there has been some question about Minnie's guilt, or at least her intention in murdering Eva and Dorothy. Some people have criticised the judicial process. Some people have criticised Justice Williams, who sat over the trial, mm. for being for already having made his mind up, mm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Not really affording her due process. Justice. Justice. Right? It's in his name. And also the fact that her sentence wasn't commuted. Yeah. It was very common for women, well, I guess it wasn't common for women to be sentenced to death, but when they were, it was obviously common, because she was the only one it didn't happen to, for their sentences to be commuted. Which means like... Means like made less. Dumbed down a bit. Yeah. Oh, not quite death. Not death. Life imprisonment. Just life in yeah. prison. Yeah. Yeah. So that didn't happen for her. And some people have kind of seen it, I guess, as like more of a statement against like this practice of baby farming. Yeah, I think she was doomed from the start because she'd mm. been linked to baby farming. Mm-hmm. If she went in like fresh, mm-hmm. maybe not. If like there wasn't already circulating rumors yeah. and press, then maybe literally everyone on <laughs> the jury and the justice guy, yeah. man Williams, yeah. wouldn't have been so like caught up in it as well. Like. Baby farming. Yeah, I think he saw it as like he was like, I have to take such a hard stance on this because it's becoming such an issue for the this, people. Yeah, it's becoming such a problem in New Zealand, so I have to like, yeah, that's make true. a take a stand. But and a lot of her, a lot of the evidence that was like brought up and used was like stuff about her, like the previous inquests and like previous things that probably now wouldn't be admissible under like. The rules that we have now, but obviously back then, mm. less um, or different rules at least. So, yeah. whether or not she should have been hanged remains, I guess, open. It was a sign of the times. Let's just say that. Mm. Yeah. 
in my opinion, mm-hmm. I, I barely ever make my mind up about shit, mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh, whatever. Just tell me the story and rah, rah, rah. But I reckon that it wasn't intentional. I yeah. do think it was an accident. And yes, look, bad form to step off the train with a dead baby in a hat box and not alert anyone. But what was she meant to do? Yeah, they were going to shut her down. Yeah. She was going to... They, she would have had then no money because Charles is still a yeah. loser. Yeah. So Charles is still a scrub. There are no options here for her. There was no. Yeah, she didn't have anywhere to turn. And then she didn't have the opportunity to act better. Not really, in in my opinion, mm. because as she had been given this uh, shitbox house that her husband had had built, mm-hmm. so she never had the chance at the beginning to set up a good yep facility you know, for the children. Yep. So come on, you know. Yeah, she couldn't catch a break. Nah. Yeah. Not a good run. Definitely not a good run. So, I don't think she was this evil witch. No. That she got painted out to be. No. I don't think so either. Yeah, don't let the kids know about the questionable guilt thing. Because apparently there's no other way to get kids to behave. Yeah. And to threaten them to send send them off to a farm. You have to either threaten or bribe. I thought this was a pretty fun case to cover. It's a bit sad. It is sad. It is sad. But it's... um. It was fun taking this, like, historical perspective. It's like watching a period film. Yeah. In my head, I've got all these visions of, like, (laughs) women in, like, big skirts and big hair and... I just imagine that, like, Minnie Dean stepped on that train with the best fit. I don't think she had a good fit. I reckon it was good. I think these are the days when you had, like, one fit and and you just had different underneath clothes. Pantaloons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had a few pairs of pantaloons. Oh God, I saw her ankles. <laughs> I saw the tips of her pantaloons. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. It's good chatting with you. It was great chatting with you. It was great chatting with you, Helen. That's what I was talking about. Oh, I thought you were talking about audience. No, I was talking to you. Oh, well, it was great chatting with you. Not that we don't chat all the damn time. This is just when we turn on record. Yeah. It's too much. And we're um, going to go away and chat now more. Um, yeah. For the rest of our day. And you guys have a good day. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you next week.